welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, it's Dudley and uh, we're going to get another podcast going here. Thanks everyone for the support. You know, I just got back from the Iowa Deer Classic this past weekend and uh, it was a great show. We just, there was thousands and thousands of people that came through there and the amount of feedback that we had was just really, really awesome. Um, And certainly, you know, that's definitely motivation for me to continue to do this because, you know, this is something that I'm doing on my own. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to give a shout out and give some props, though, to Jason and Ryan at Bow Junkie because, uh, you know, they they definitely have helped me quite a bit here over the last few weeks. And, uh, you know, Bow Junkie is something that, that I actually sponsored and supported through Knock On simply because these guys are doing a great job right now covering archery and promoting archery and also expanding the the visual i guess on professional archery you know back when i started shooting asa just for any of you 3d shooters out there you know my asa number is 697 so that'll give you an idea of back when i started and uh you know we just although um wayne at the time was promoting it and we had some good corporate sponsors behind the asa and the ibo and the cabela's tour uh, we just didn't have the TV coverage like what Bow Junkie's bringing out, and also obviously the social media and YouTube, you know, a way for this to hit the masses. And Jason and Ryan are putting in an incredible amount of personal time as well as, uh, you know, dedication and family time to getting this stuff out to you. So, you know, definitely support them. Um, I've supported them, and once again, Jason, Ryan, if by chance you are listening, thanks, guys, for helping me out. And, uh, you know, I definitely wish you the best and uh, look forward to working together with you guys through Knock On. But, uh, you know, when it comes to professional archery, if we would have had that years ago, you know, all the greats and the pioneers to 3D archery, you know, we all know of Randy Ulmer and, you know, we know of like Jeff Hopkins, the guys that were there from really the beginning. But there was also a lot of awesome shooters out there, and I'm sure I'll forget a few. But, you know, the ones that I really looked up to, the guys like the you know the Chapel brothers, Randy and Sonny, and, you know, the Coddles and Pete Works and Dave Steps and the Johnny Heaths, you know, uh, there's just so many guys. And like I said, there might be some of you that I'm forgetting, but there were so many guys out there that really were – the nucleus of that professional aspect and it was so fun to be part of that when it was all starting out so today we're actually gonna to get one of my close friends from 3d archery to talk about several different subjects Um, but it's going to cover not only 3d but also target archery too and uh, i think all you guys are going to really enjoy this podcast today so let me get danny mccarthy on the phone you guys are really going to enjoy listening to danny great knowledge awesome archer awesome shot and a good friend i've got dan mccarthy on the line how are you danny 
I'm doing pretty good. All jacked up on caffeine. <laughs> I know. I saw your post there on uh, your K-cup machine, the Keurig, giving you the infamous third of a cup. Yeah, I don't even know why they have different size buttons to push for different different fullnesses of cups because it just seems like no matter which one you push, you always get like a, a partial cup of coffee. No, the buttons aren't for how much coffee you get. It's for how how torqued off you're going to be when you see your cup of coffee. So if you hit the large, then that you're going to be really torqued when you find out yeah. that you only get a. Th- yep. Well. Yeah, it's like ordering out the menu. You push the one that looks like it's full, but instead it comes out nothing like what you wanted. Yeah, I went through that same problem, man. We've we've actually. Um, we burn through probably like two cases of K-Cup coffee a, a month here at our house. And we finally, <laughs> we do too. I'm not even kidding. But, uh, yeah, if you if you call them, I actually, they, they sent me out several different ones. And finally I got like my third one brewed up a full cup of coffee. And that sucker's been going strong for like two years now. So you might have, you might have a dud, an official dud. I'm sure I do. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, man, um, I guess uh, you look like you're shooting pretty good on Saturday down there at the ASA. Uh, I don't know if you were looking at the same thing I was looking at. Saturday <laughs> Saturday actually had uh, some problems. I had a, a couple issues. I had to go off the range. Um, just just <laughs> fault. I mean, I'm responsible for, for all my stuff, but uh, I just had some stuff going on, and and uh, some things came loose, and it's it's my fault. But I had a I had a bad day Saturday and was able to recover from it um, on the second half of the day, and and then out of the day without you know it being a total loss and uh, keep myself uh, in a position to try to make a move on Sunday. I, I mean, I gave it everything I got on Sunday, but it just wasn't enough. I got. You tied for third and ended up getting beat out on twelve counts. Oh yeah, maybe uh, that's. Pay. Maybe that's what I was looking at. I saw that you were tied for third, and uh, yeah. you know, after starting out the morning. But uh, you know, for for knock on, we have we have a huge customer base. It kind of is kind of global. So for any of you target archers out there from from Europe or some of the foreign countries, just so you know, Danny is uh, an amazing archer, uh, a very decorated. 3d archer and and you've also uh you've also done awesome in target archery as well and and you're definitely um one of the people that you know the guys that are really looking up to the professional archers out there that are you know sharing information and really helping others you know you're you're like me on the same page of you know really trying to help people through the sport and uh you know you and i haven't got to to hang out since i left wisconsin but the last time the last time we hooked up man we actually remember we were deer hunting together yeah he came and hunted with me uh rifle season we hunted one of my uncle's piece of property had a good time well i think i think we would have probably uh had a little more uh success if we would have quit telling stories and laughing in three stands (laughs) we laughed we laughed the whole time (laughs) It it hurts when you when you're like with a really good friend in a tree stand and you're trying to be super quiet and then you yeah. and then you're laughing. It's like it's like trying to like trying to laugh through a cough muffler, dude. I mean, <laughs> uh, I know, and we were laughing so much. 
that uh, well, my aunt Vicky, she killed two good bucks, a mid one fifties buck, but and another really good one that was right next to us, less than a hundred and fifty yards away. Probably we should have seen seen them both, but we're too preoccupied in the stand, joking around, didn't worry about it. Yeah, well, that's for me. That's what it's all about. I mean, sometimes yeah, the, the trophies, uh, the trophies are awesome, but those types of memories I I laugh at forever. But you know, one thing you were just talking about, you know, having a little bit of trouble with your equipment, and you know, sometimes, like you said, you know, there's been times where you know I've forgot to tighten down, you know, tighten down my sight, or you know, I end up forgetting to put the set screw in you know on my arrow rest or you know or or even like you know there's been times where I forgot to like retighten my um like my draw peg after you know making an adjustment to it and you know those things are they're 100 percent common with all archers and it's something that we all have to deal with um and I think that you know I think it's important for people to know out there um, just like what you did, you know, you kept a positive attitude about it because, you know, especially in, you know, unless you're in Vegas where we have to shoot perfect scores, I think what really separates the good archers from the great archers, and it's not just, you know, maybe equipment f- failure oriented, but the great archers are the ones that recognize a mistake and deal with it the quickest and and prevent it from affecting mass amounts of arrows that they still have to shoot. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, once something happens, it's it's uh, it's done. I mean, you still got to finish the tournament. You still you still even if, even if you can't salvage that tournament, uh, you know, or or win it. You know, I'm I'm looking at the big picture, and I don't I want to minimize everything because for shooter of the year. I mean, it's. I started out late, you know, start, it's, I always start out slow because of where I live and it's so tough to practice up there, but, you know, I have to stop the bleeding and still pay attention to everything because it's the whole year is just one big tournament. And if I, if I let it get under my skin and just shut down and give up, then potentially I'm losing tons of points that I might need at the end of the season. Right, right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's critical for really anything and you know when it comes to sport in general you know as a rule of thumb if you're a competitor you should always have short-term goals and long-term goals and you know even though you might get derailed on a short-term goal you need to you know like in an instance like this where maybe you have a bad few ends you need to then instantly try to remember what your long-term goals are and focus on really making sure that you can stay on track for that as well. Yep. I agree. Now, definitely agree on that. When you talked a second ago about, you know, we both live here in the Midwest and yesterday, you know, yesterday, (laughs) yesterday it was, well, this morning it was minus 15 in my car. So, if you went out and even grabbed your bow riser, there's a good chance you might not get your hand off of it. <laughs> so yeah, so I spend more time plowing my driveway than I probably do practicing. Right. So let's let's talk about that because there's a lot of you know notoriously a lot of the shooters that have done well at some of these first events, they're either pros that take time and go down 
ahead of the event so that they can kind of get on their game. And I know that you and and uh, you and Gomez used to do that, didn't you? Didn't you guys used to train in some warmer weather early? Yeah, and and I I usually do too. I mean, I have uh, I still have a course that uh, I bought and have a have it in Louisiana. Um, and usually I do try to make it down there and and practice if I can for you know the second event or the third event. But beginning of the year, it's it's so hard to to cross train between indoor and outdoor, and it's hard to to make it down there just with traveling because of the weather. I mean, it's hard to to drive down south when we're getting pounded with bad weather up north for the first couple tournaments of the year because you've got Florida and you've got Lancaster, and you have Vegas, and you're just bouncing around so much, it's hard to do everything. I mean, a jack of all trades is a master at none, so you're better off just kind of picking a couple of the most important ones and preparing for it if you can, and then later on in the season try to, you know, I try to get down south and actually try to prepare for some of those. Yep, yep. And I think for anyone that's, like, super committed or even a pro that's listening that may or may not be manageable, but let's just consider, you know, let's look at, or I can even look at myself for when, when I was starting out, I didn't have the option because of my job or whatever to, to get into some warmer weather. So what, what are you doing or what can we recommend to the listeners out there for how to get ready for some of these first tournaments that are outdoors when you're battling your elements? What, what would you recommend? It's 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 really tough. I mean, this year I, I can attest that, that that's a I'm a prime example of those circumstances. I mean, I I slipped on the ice and uh, I fell and hurt my shoulder in the early early part of January. And when that happened, I screwed up my rotator cuff and my AC ligament, and I haven't been able to practice. So there's no point in me going south, and there's no point in me actually going down there because I can't shoot, I can't practice. I could judge, which would help. A lot, and I did go down for this last tournament a few days early uh, to try to do some judging, and and it helped a little bit. But for the most part, I mean, all you can really do is shoot. Try to find a facility that that you can practice in and and strengthen some part of your game. I mean, archery is one of the only sports that I know of. I mean, I played baseball a lot and traveled and played a lot of ball. And I, I mean, when we practiced, we did mostly drills. I never, we never played baseball when we practiced we just you know hit balls hit off the tee did drills fielded did stuff like that and i think if people broke the game down broke archery down kind of like any other sport and tried to perfect every little part of it i think they'd do a lot better uh you know one of the big one of the hardest things is is most people do a lot of practicing in the wintertime on spots and so they're used to seeing around their pen and they're used to aiming at the center and knowing they're holding in the center and i would recommend maybe practicing on on something other than a spot target maybe uh you know putting up a brown a brown bag you know crumple it up uh crumple it up so you have some dark spots and some shadows and draw some some tens and twelves on with a pencil that you can't see with the naked eye and then try to aim off of some of those dark spots to hit those marks and then just change it out enough that you're not eventually just aiming at a you know a bunch of arrow holes down there, but you know working on little drills and stuff like that to try to help you shoot 3D targets better. 
Yeah, that's when you get down there. Yeah, that's super, super good advice. And you know, you're right. Regardless of sport, everything always boils down to the fundamentals. And you know, one yep. thing throughout all my, you know, all my competitive archery shooting, but also even when I was playing, you know, football, you know, it coaches drill into your head. It's always the small things that matter most, and it really is. It's the fundamentals. So, you know, back back when I was shooting especially 3d where you know i was up in wisconsin and having to train in the in the snow you know i would typically focus on finding an indoor facility and doing what you know exactly what you're talking about i would focus on you know a lot of times i would use like nfa animal target faces just so that i would get used to to more or less aiming off of something rather than aiming in the center of something and and then i would you know, I would focus on shot execution and then really start to try to to get, you know, I would always, you know, tell me if you do this too, but I would really focus on putting multiple targets up and and learning to shoot one arrow at a time. And that's something that's really different for the 3D guy versus the target guy. You know, it's the 3D guy, it's almost like being a hunter. I mean, you really have to focus on on really going through a checklist to being able to execute one arrow at a time rather than sit there and shooting a group. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, just then, and that's, you know, the kind of what I'm, what I'm saying is like, if if you, you have to kind of look at what you're going to be, what's your strong points, what you actually can prepare for, and then what you're wanting, wanting to use your time for when you get down there to be as efficient as possible to, to get, to get the most out of being down there. So when I go south for a tournament, I know that I'm I'm wanting to spend the whole time I'm there working on my yardage. That's it. So when I'm up north in an indoor facility, I'm going to work on everything else. I'm going to I'm going to shoot, you know, off of shadows cuz there is a big difference between aiming in the center of a circle and then trying to aim 3 inches right off of something, you know, or an inch low and an inch and a quarter left off of a dark spot. I mean, it's just a dense, it's a different mental picture. It's uh, it's harder, I think, sometimes to aim, and then other times you have to work on covering up a dot. So, you know, I'll do what I said, shoot off a shadow off of, you know, brown paper bags or something or black, you know, black stuff uh, to practice aiming off of black targets. And then I'll also put some arrows down there and try to aim off of arrows or cover up really small dots, like trying to aim, you know, cover up a knock and shoot off of a knock, shoot off of something that my pen's actually going to cover what I'm aiming at um, and have reference points of what I want to aim off of and work on those little drills. That way when I do get down there, I can spend the entire time I have to actually really just concentrate on yardage and try to perfect that part of the game and not have to worry about the rest of it. Yep, yep. You know, that it's fun. It's awesome that um, one thing that's really cool, I guess, about um, – me deciding to do these podcasts is that, you know, I really want to utilize the people in archery that I know are really good for the sport and have super solid information. So, you know, like last um, couple days ago, I had a conversation just like this with Ulmer for podcasts, um, for the last podcast. And, you know, I start to remember a lot of things that I've worked on that, you know, a lot of times I just, I really forget to, to talk with people about. And, 
you know, it's been a long time since I've shot, you know, 3D and, you know, I really moved into the target area and then also into coaching. But I do remember now, now that I'm hearing you talk about things, that one drill that I used to do is, um, at least back in the day, was, you know, the morel targets that we kind of all shot back then, they were all made out of brown burlap. So I would, yep. I would take like biter knocks and put the different fluorescent biter knocks in arrow holes on different places on that bag. And then, Mm -hmm. and then not only work it aiming on the knock, but I would also work on drills of trying to shoot my arrow just off the knock. You know, I would work on, I would call it a clock drill and I might, you know, aim at the green knock and I would tell myself three o'clock off the knock. So I would I would literally do what I called a clock drill, and I would work on shooting around that knock, not necessarily on it, because in 3D, a lot of time. I mean, there's definitely times where pe- where people put one in the donut, but there's I would say the majority of the time you don't have that luxury. Do you agree? Absolutely, and that's that's the same drill basically that I was that I was mentioning. You know, where if you crumple up a, a brown bag, you're going to get shadows off of it, and and then I draw on like a 10 ring and a 12 ring. And sometimes I'll have to aim two inches right of that shadow or, you know, low right of that. And then I'll go on to put knocks in the target and stuff like that. And then try to still hit those 12s on that bag, you know, that I drew in there without being able to see them, but aiming off of different reference points. And that's, that's what I'm saying. It's such a different mentality than aiming at a circle, you know, something that you can visually see and put your pen in the center of it and stay consistent really relaxed with no anxiety the whole time you know you're aiming at the right spot but in 3d you're, you don't know that you're aiming at the right spot unless you practice it unless you really know that you're you know that's at 40 yards you're really only holding an inch and a quarter off that knock or you're holding two and a half inches off that knock unless you practice that through your lens yep yep well i think uh i think any of the 3d shooters out there can definitely come away with some of that that we talked about from and and from there really a lot of times in the winter I had to spend more time just walking out with my rangefinder and just judging targets even if it was in the snow or something if the weather was so cold or if it was a day like today where the wind is just beating um you know I would I would really spend as much or sometimes even more of my daily time looking at targets than I would actually making shots. So you can still utilize, you know, you might have to dress up for it, but a lot of times just going out with your rangefinder and committing, putting some time in that way, and then focus on what we're talking about, even if, even though it's inside and at a closer distance, you can still combine those two things and really come away with being prepared for those first tournaments uh, of the year. Yeah, I think I think you can do you know do whatever whatever helps you if it's you know if it's inside and 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 it helps you great you know if it's walking around judging trees and stuff with the rangefinder and it helps you great I mean some people I think are better at depth than others and I think some people screw it can screw you up too by getting used to what something looks like inside and then going outside and and struggling with it um, and then you know you start to tear down your confidence and stuff because they're doing it really well inside. Now you're not doing it outside. Um, so I would say, you know, practice a bunch of te- different techniques. And if you find one that, that you feel like will help prepare you, uh, definitely repeat it 
and, and keep working. But yeah. every person's different, and you know what I drill the bar or what I do to prepare it wouldn't necessarily help somebody else, uh, but it, it may help others. You know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, the next thing I think would be cool for us to kind of talk about because even though it's been a while for me. Um, you and I have actually both kind of done a full flip-flop, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I spent almost a decade with a single cam, and then I switched over to to the cam and a halfs, and, and now you've, you know, we've both kind of done backflips each direction. So, um, you know, I I know that there's a lot of awesome bows out there. There's a lot of good companies and, and every shooter has their home and I'm totally cool with that. I've been there and, and, uh, you know, you definitely be with, with one family that, that sometimes gets you where you're going and then you need another family to, to help you out through a different time. So when you made your change this year, let's just talk about what you focus on doing so that when you do make a new equipment change, you're able to get yourself back on your game, you know, in as quick as time as possible? Well, really, what I focused on was just going through all the bows. I mean, I shot everything. Uh, I got familiar with it. I didn't do anything, you know, nothing to them or anything. I just shot them the way they are. And I really wanted to just learn how all the equipment works and and uh, just, you know, get comfortable with it, the way it was supposed to be shot. And there is a lot of differences from what I was used to. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, you need to learn because you you need to have a control. You need to have something that you can reference from. And so, you know, I, I shot through everything and found what I thought aimed the best for me. I found what I thought tuned the best for me. And then from there, I just, you know, worked with the bows to get them to what I wanted, what I wanted them to do or what I hoped, hoped I could get them to do. And uh, I settled with mostly the, the Apex 7. Uh, that, that bow, to me, fits, fits me really well as far as string angle goes. Um, I shoot it really well. Uh, feels really good at full draw. Feels really comfortable. Uh, the other bow that I, that I liked was the C4, the Conquest 4. Uh, it's shot extremely well. I probably shot some better scores with that bow than I have my 7 uh, in practice. But the string angle is not quite as comfortable for me, and, and I've always... Uh, I've always leaned more towards comfort than what I shoot for score and practice because I've, I've found that when I get under pressure, my body or my head or anything that's uncomfortable always wants to kind of shift to a comfortable position. And if, I, if I'm not really comfortable at full draw with, with a bow or the way the string fits my face, I feel like I come out of my peep sight under pressure yeah. and I move around a little bit. So... Even though, you know, the 7 doesn't seem to aim as well as the C4 does for me, it aims great, but the string angle is so comfortable, I, I feel like I shoot it just as well under tournament pressure as I do in practice, whereas the C4 that doesn't feel comfortable, in previous experience with my, my Hoyt bows or shooting longer axle axle bows, you know, I've always felt like I come out of my peep with those longer bows, so even if they aim better for me, I usually don't run them just because... I can do really well with them in practice, but my tournament scores seem to be a little lower than average. Yep. Well, for all of you out there, I'm just going to kind of give you the rundown, and you can agree with me if you want, Danny. If you if you don't agree with me, then then just don't say anything. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> what I what I did um, when I went to change bows, and and I do this a lot. If I'm making a major change, the one thing, like Danny said, comfort is is really really important when you're making a change. So what I did was um, I took my bow that you know I felt the most comfortable with, and and what I call my number one. And there's a couple things on that bow that I always know and that I and that I have for record. You know, one is obviously what the draw length is, an exact draw length. And and actually I've got an arrow that I've had. I've got a draw board too, but I've got an arrow that I've had for a long, long time that, you know, I have a mark on it right to the very center of the burger buttonhole or the pivot point of your bow. So anytime I build a new bow really the first thing that I do is always get that draw length right on the money. From there, you know, holding weight can really, really affect, you know, for, especially for people that are that are Xing and keating a shot with, with any type of a, you know, a surprise shot, that holding weight is going to be critical to you feeling comfortable again. And then the third thing is going to be on my bow – when I made my change from Matthews to Hoyt, um, I took the bow that I was most comfortable with, and at full draw, um, you know, I got a huge uh, target face, and I actually traced the string angle out. So when I was configuring new Hoyts and going through risers and limb combinations, I found a combination to where at full draw, the string angle matched identically what the bow was that I was shooting before. And it's funny because the first time I ever shot a Hoyt, Danny, I don't know if you even ever heard this story, but the first time I ever shot was um, I actually flew out to Hoyt, and they had built me two bows. Um, the first was actually a, a pro comp, a pro, let's see, what were they then, pro elites, um, I had a Pro Elite with 3,500 limbs and spirals on there. Nothing like that was being built at the time. And uh, I set that bow up, and I actually went out behind Easton, and I shot I shot the highest FETA score that I've ever shot. I actually have the target here in my office, but I shot a 1428 in practice. And I thought, I walked away from there thinking that there was no way in heck that anyone was ever going to touch that bow. But what's funny is exactly what you said. I got home, and after shooting it like two or three more times, I just really, really struggled with that bow, and I never shot that bow in a single tournament. And this, and it was because the string angle was much bigger than what I was yeah, used to. It was too steep. So like you said, once you started to get a little bit tired or once you started to get on some angles, I just felt that my natural head position was just always wanting to return back to what I had built, you know, as a habit. So, yep. you know, I ended up, and then the next bow that they built me was an Ultra Elite with 3,500s and cam and a halfs, and that's what everybody was shooting back then. But to be honest with you, I didn't get along with that bow very well either, and I ended up settling with a Pro Elite with 3,000s and spirals, and that string angle matched my original apex exactly and and that was the bow that i instantly felt the most comfortable with so i think for and and i guess the last thing is learning what your peep height is 
And, and by that, what I really like people to do is when you draw your bow back to full draw, you need to learn to measure from the center of your shaft straight up in a vertical line to the center of your peep sight because depending on the axle-to-axle -axle length of your bow, your peep can be at a different height at, at rest when your bow's at rest. So by learning that, that measurement from the center of your shaft to the center of your peep while you're at full draw, and I'm talking going from your peep straight down to the center of your arrow shaft, not following the string, but straight down as gravity would hold, would let the tape measure fall. You know, that measurement is always going to be the same because where you anchor in the, the size of your head and where your eye position is, that's going to remain constant. So if you learn that measurement and you decide to switch bows, draw length, holding weight, your peep height, and then trying to find a bow that matches a string angle of a bow that you're really comfortable with. And you should be, you know, probably at about a 90% ready to rock. Don't you agree? Yeah, I can elaborate on that a little bit. That's kind of the same way I do it. What, but as a as a rule, when I set up a bow for the first time, or if somebody's got a bow that they're comfortable with, what I do is I I take a I take an arrow and I actually pinch it on my on my riser right on the shelf of the riser. So I just take the flat point into the arrow or whatever, and I pinch it so it sticks out the front of my bow, but it lays perfectly parallel on that on that. Uh, shelf yep. and then when i knock an arrow when i knock my arrow and set it on my rest i take the weight of the arrow off with my finger and i kind of make sure that those arrows are running perfectly parallel and i don't know if this is painting a good picture or not but basically i don't want the weight of the the arrow on my rest to, to sag from on my blade and then my arrow looking like it's at a downward angle i want to set it up so it's perfectly parallel uh to that to that arrow that i pinched on my on my riser. <laughs> it's kind of a quick <clears throat> quick way to do it, uh, just to set up your, your height or whatever. But when you're talking about measuring from the center of your shaft to your peep height at full draw, um, I do this with, with the same arrow every time. Because if you went from, like, let's say, a micro diameter arrow of an X10 or something, um, you know, like a deep impact or something really small and tiny, and then you measure from the center of a 27 diameter arrow, you're going to get a different peep height. So I always use the same arrow, and I set it up perfectly parallel, you know, perfect level knock from the get-go through the center of my burger buttonhole or whatever, wherever you're going to measure it from. Um, and then I set my peep height with that arrow. Regardless of whether I'm going to shoot that arrow or not, I use the same one on every bow. That way I'm measuring from the center of the same shaft to my peep. Yeah. That way you're not ending up with an eighth-inch different peep height because of your shoot setting up a field bow versus an indoor bow. Right, right. And, and that, my indoor bow is going to be a little bit different peep height. So I'm going to run a little higher peep just because I'm you know, running my distance. sight bar yeah. Yeah, towards the top of the sight bar. And then my outdoor field or ratting bow or something like that, I'm going to run probably a little bit lower peep height so that I'm more comfortable at that average distance that I'm going to be shooting of 55 or 70 yards or whatever. Right, yeah. A lot of people ask me that, you know, what what distance, because obviously um, for those of you listening that really aren't following us right now, if you're, as a target archer, if you, say you're shooting anywhere from 20 yards to, to or let's say 20 meters to 90 meters, um, 
you know, obviously the fur the higher your sight is on your sight bar, and then the lower that you move it for that longer distance, you know, if your if your sight is really high on the bar, you actually need to push your face a little bit harder into the string so that you can look up through the top part of your peep to see that. And then once it goes way down the bar, it's it's exactly the opposite. So you know, when you're at 20 and you're shooting indoors, you really set your peep height to where you're absolutely perfectly comfortable at one anchor position. And then, and then for, for target archery, I always based my peep, um, because it would vary a little bit between outdoor target archery where I was shooting 90 meters and then feet a field where I only shot to 60 you know, if I was only shooting at 60 meters, I would set my peep to be most comfortable right at about that 40 meter mark, just because that was kind of right in between. So I would feel, you know, less uncomfortable at, you know, at the higher, the lower end of that scale. And then for, for outdoor target archery, you know, I always set my peep to be the most comfortable at 70 meters simply because that's where the Olympic rounds were shot. You know, that's where the eliminations were shot. So, you know, I never really worried too much about having the highest necessarily FETA score because I wanted to be 100% comfortable with my peep height when I was at 70 meters. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that you said a second ago um, about your arrow rest, and that, and actually... I do that not only because I'm trying to get a true 90 degree mark, but also because if you take the point out of your arrow when you're setting up your bow for the first time and you draw your bow back, if you haven't set your knock positions correctly and you have too much knock pinch, that'll raise your arrow off your rest when you don't have a point in there. So I really like to do that as part of my tuning simply because I can really make sure that my knock my tied knocks or my loop aren't putting too much pressure on the arrow knock itself because it will actually lift that up. And if you're shooting on any type of up or down, that's going to immediately cause you some issues. So whenever I'm setting up my bows and I get to the point where I'm setting up my arrow rest and I tie my knocks on, I go ahead and draw it back with an arrow with no point in there and make sure that my arrow stays on the arrow rest as well. Yep. Yeah, that and serving diameter, all that stuff can come into play, but you definitely don't want it lifting. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's, t- well, okay. It's serving diameter. When you talk, how do you like your knocks to fit? Uh, depends on the knock. I mean, really, um, I, I want them, I basically want my knocks to snap on the string smooth, but I, I don't want to really be able to rock them side to side. I want them to fit tight, but not not too tight at all. Yeah. I, I want them to fit, actually, I guess a better explanation would be I want them to fit as loose as possible to where they don't rock side to side. Yep, yep. Because I don't want to have to rely on the integrity and the the, the memory of what you know what the the virgin material of the knock is made out of i don't want to have to rely on that that you know it's too tight of a of a fit and so i'm actually relying on on that that material to repeat over and over the same i just assume it spread apart just a teeny tiny bit and then when it goes into the throat it just it locks but i can't wobble it side to side so you know if we're talking about an easton knock uh 
or uh, Acculite on my gold tip or whatever. I mean, a lot of people don't have um, the equipment to check it, but if you if you can measure the throat of that knock and find out, you know, what it is, I think that's that's the best way to set your set your servings to whatever knock you're running. Generally, if I'm running an Eason knock, uh, like a Super 3D, <laughs> I'm going to want to run my serving sizes about 112 thousandths to 114 thousandths. Um, if I'm going to run a biter, I'm probably going to run it a little bigger than that. Uh, most biters, I think, if you set them on like a comparator or a, um, optical comparator, they're going to run around 120 thousandths. Uh, G-knocks are a little bit smaller than that. Uh, I like to run around 110 thou, uh, 109, somewhere in that area. Pen knocks, uh, G-knocks, or the, the G-pens are the same as the, the G-knocks and Gold tip pens, I like to run about 114, right in that area, 115. Yep. So I run a little different size servings for whatever knock I'm running, but that way I get the fit exactly where I want it. Yeah, I like mine to be able to snap. I like mine to be able to click on, and I, I like to be able to, to freely spin my ser- – I want to be able to spin my string while it's inside the throat of that knock, and – and I want to make sure that there's no possibility of building a flat spot on my serving. You know, that's really what I look for. I don't like a lot of side-to-side. I don't really like any side-to-side play like Danny said. But I also really look for being able to to easily spin my serving inside the throat of that knock. So if you're not really hip on actual sizes and diameters, you want to hear a click and you want to be able to easily spin it with your fingers without actually turning the knock. Yep. And I reserve my bows a lot. I hate flat spots on my serving. So I, I reserve my center servings probably once a month. What um what what ser- what center serving material do you prefer? Uh I, I mean I there's a lot of good stuff out there. I like BCY. Um BCY Halo is a really good material, yep. um, especially if you're reserving it often, um, then you don't have to worry about any separation or it sliding. Uh, it's a smooth, pretty slick material. It's pretty strong. Um, even just even their older stuff, like their Braid 62 stuff, is pretty good. As long as you you know watch it and and reserve it when it starts to get flat, uh, I don't think it really matters uh, what what serving you use as long as you you know, keep an eye on it and reserve it when it needs to and don't get lazy, just like with any part of your bow. I mean, it's a piece of equipment. You have to maintain it just like you do a car or anything else. You have to constantly take care of it. Yep, yep. Hey, let's let's talk for once for a few minutes about, um, you know, I think I was, I'm pretty sure I was shooting with you when you kind of went to kind of your first target-oriented uh tournament i remember when you i'm certain that we shot together when you went to reading for the first time didn't me you and chance all shoot together yep i'm certain me, you yep and uh was, Steph. yeah yeah <laughs> that was that was really fun but uh you guys you guys actually won the team round i think didn't you i mean you guys uh, we didn't i you I shot won the li- tournament but, okay that's right but we lo- we lost the team we dropped a point and ended up losing the team overall. 
Yeah, you guys were, I mean, you were on fire that day. So, and that was the first time that you guys had ever had to play with like some outdoor arrows. Like I remember that was the first time you had, you had worked with some, some, uh, some barreled shafts. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I know that you, you know, you're shooting for black Eagle now, but you know, I guess without having to really dive into, you know, brand a, you know, X, Y, or Z, what, what did you really have to do differently because I know what I did when I went from 3D to then going to more of a field or a or an outdoor target format where you started to have to deal with longer distances and a lot more possibility for the wind. But what changes did you make on your equipment, if you can remember? Oh, really? It was a pretty easy transition for me because it's, you know, it's I don't have to judge the distance. I just have to make the shot, and it's outside, and that's all I practice shooting. So <laughs> shooting in the wind and uphill, downhill stuff wasn't a big deal other than, you know, dealing with cuts and stuff, which we we do enough of. So we're, we're that was that was pretty easy, I guess. Uh, just working with the arrows, you know, the biggest thing for me that I found um, with the next or with a micro diameter shaft is, is, is spine. You know, that it seems to be like the, the smaller the arrow goes, the more critical they are um, as far as, like, getting a perfect a perfect arrow for that bow. And, yeah, perfect match. I mean, yeah, and, I mean, because you, you shot them enough. I mean, me and you both, when we shot, I mean, you shoot next 10s now or ACs or any of the barrel shafts or any of the micro-diameter arrows that they make um, or any company makes, uh, you, you play with them a lot because... You can what the, what those arrows are capable of at long ranges is unbelievable. I mean, any micro diameter shaft it, it can shoot some some of the craziest scores at, at long range um, compared to a bigger diameter arrow because if they come out of the bow crooked or you do something wrong, they don't plane one, and they also don't lose their energy downrange too. So they you know your grouping or your point of impact is closer to a minute of angle where you're aiming than you know bigger shaft, but you really have to play with it because your initial perspective of what you think is a great group at 100 yards or a great group at 80 yards, it could be better than any of the other groups you've ever shot with your other arrows or your bigger arrows, but it might not be the full potential of that shaft. So you really have to like have a mindset that these things are capable of because you and I have both shot them. Those small diameter arrows are capable of one and two inch groups at 100 yards all day long. Yeah, and they're yeah, they're ridiculous. You, yeah, you can't just you know just start shooting rounds at 100 yards and being like, oh yeah, I'm keeping them in a pie plate. This thing's shooting awesome. I mean, you really have to work the spine of that arrow and play with different point weights and play with different poundages and stuff and break that arrow down. Um, exp- that's how I do my how I did the X10s because they're so expensive. You don't want to chop them up. So I would recommend cutting them a little long and then moving your poundage up and down and uh, breaking that spine down to find out if they perform a little better, you know, stiff or weak or how with different point weights. And then when you find out if they're working better, a little stiff or a little weaker, then you can cut the arrows accordingly. You know, use use the program, use Archer's Advantage and put in your current setup that, that's shooting really well and see exactly where it's saying that spine is on on the spine chart and then adjust the length of that shaft with the same program and and put your poundage to where you want it and you'll you know put that 
put it so the spine is exactly in the same spot, and you'll probably have real, really similar results once you retune it to that, that you know, poundage that you want. And then you can cut them from there and fine-tune it just a teeny tiny little bit from there. But, you know, Redding or any of those long-distance tournaments, that's the one thing you can appreciate about that tournament. It's One, it's, it's the best tournament out there, I think. And yeah. two, you just can't you can't show up to a tournament like that unprepared. That's one of those events that you really have to spend the time to really fine tune your equipment and get it all perfect. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, and it's it, I mean, it's tough. I plan I plan on uh, on doing a future podcast really specifically about about tuning you know micro diameter arrows for sure because you know obviously that's that's something that people fail to really put the time and the homework into and and it and it's huge the difference that it makes but uh hey dude we're getting a little bit low on time here but before we kind of wrap this sucker up you know i've i can tell everyone out there if you're uh if you don't follow dan mccarthy then you need to go on to his facebook page and like dan because I need well. I want to know where you're coming up with all these one-liners, dude. Because about every day you post something, you know, crazy. Not, I mean, not every day. <laughs> Some days I'm just bored, and <laughs> I don't know random thoughts. I guess, and just I don't know. I read a lot too. So yeah, you're well, on this one. You say I don't want to sound like a badass or anything, but I often eject my USB without clicking the remove safety icon. <laughs> Everybody does. Well, I don't. Yeah. I'm afraid of it. I, I'm really? afraid. I'm afraid something might might happen. You said when you yeah. see a bruised apple at the market, you give it a soft hug and whisper, "Who did this to you?" <laughs> well, I appreciate it, dude. And uh, now that you're in Iowa, you know we definitely gotta. Uh, well, we should probably hunt some public land just so that we don't wreck our own places because we definitely need to get in a tree again and uh and do some laughing but uh man i i so wish you the best and uh you know i'm always here if you need me and you can definitely uh you need to come down and train with me and jeff do a little bit of shooting down here dude we'd have a good time yeah well the the door's always open for you guys too we'll definitely get together and and uh i'm not worried about ruining any of my my good places so we have something good on camera or something we'll have to get together and try to kill it all right, man. Well, uh, thanks so much for for tuning in, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to a uh, another podcast from Knock On. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com. <laughs>